Welcome back to the Shift Drink Podcast. I'm Ed Rudisell, sitting here as always with, well, actually, this week I'm not sitting here with anyone. This week's going to be a little bit different. See, about a week ago, Arthur and I were invited to be guests on a show called Drink Culture. Now, Drink Culture is a podcast based out of Indianapolis, hosted by a couple of gentlemen named Jared and Fabian. Jared and Fabian emailed us and asked us if we'd come on their show to talk a little bit about our show, how we got started how we get the amazing guests that we get and what we see for the future of the show. We talk a little bit about our background as well and a little bit about wine and rum. No surprises there. Now, there is about 10 minutes of audio that disappeared into the ether. The first 10 minutes of the episode. Now, I assure you, we did not divulge any profound secrets of the universe. No uh, esoteric knowledge there. Think about all you're going to be missing is us teasing Arthur about the sport coats he used to wear as a young sommelier. The only reason I mention this is because you are going to be jumping into a conversation already in progress. So without further ado, here's the episode that we have been affectionately referring to as Shift Culture. But um, that was a, a large part of the reason we started doing it, because um, I really like to listen to that. But I was like, you know, all these are like New York guys, like... I think if you're in New York, it's very easy to forget that those same people that go through New York or like are representing brands in New York, they also come here. You know, we see those same people, but you know, you don't think about it. It's like, ah, it's just like little old, you know, the heartland, the, you know, flyover country in Indiana. It's like, no, they, they stop here too. And so that was like, when I say it was arrogance, it was like, ah, we can do it, man. I bet we could do it better than all those guys. And then you're like an episode in, you're like, yeah, that sucked. Like, <laughs> that was really hard, man, you know? Yeah, but it, no, it wasn't. You We've know? gotten I mean, better we, at it. We've definitely gotten better, and you, you figure things out. But I mean, I, part of that conversation for me, and I'm not talking about food and beverage podcast right now, just podcasts in general, there's a lot of shitty podcasts out there. You know, like the guy who... You know, it's it's like a serial killer investigative podcast, but the guy starts off every episode with talking about a harmonica competition he won when he was ten for thirty fucking. Minutes. I feel like this is a real story. Yeah. What podcast was that? Yeah. <laughs> I forgot about it, man. But it was just like was, it, was that S Town that you just went with, or no, I, you don't listen to that true crime stuff. You listen to all the conspiracy theory. Oh podcasts. hell yeah, fuck yeah. He that, loves that, that shit. That's awesome. Hey, there's no such thing as theory. Right, right. Oh man, Watch that's a whole different conversation. One world order man it's happening um so yeah, i mean that's kind of why i want to do it just because it'd be fun and then we you know we looked into the equipment it wasn't that bad and mm-hmm. then we got in a few episodes and we got noticeably better within a, a few episodes or so we thought we had we've definitely have our instances of falling off <laughs> from quality we've we've over consumed in a few episodes but like as it's evolved you know to speak to that like i think you know the the goal is like changed rather than just like, all right, we want to prove to everybody that, you know, Indiana is not flyover country and these guys come through here, but it's really just like, let's have fun with it. We're getting a little bit more comfortable in our own skin in front of a microphone. And on top of that, um, you know, it's a really good reason to go out and meet cool people that probably wouldn't sit down and talk with you for an hour, hour and a half of their day because they're busy, you know, like, um, our most recent episode, we had uh, like a legendary bartender on Brother Cleve. And like, if I would have just said, Hey man, can you sit down and we're going to chat for an hour and a half? He'd probably be like, I, I got sales calls to yeah. do. I want to go talk about this thing. But when we 
when you have a podcast, you have a reason to do it. It's just like a really cool reason to meet interesting people. Absolutely. I'm sure you guys have experienced the same thing. You're like, just call people up. Like, I want to talk to this guy. Just throw a microphone in front of him. It's kind of like the... I wouldn't necessarily call it a secret, but that that's the thing about a podcast is everybody has that inner motivation to want to talk about themselves. So when somebody reaches out to you and they're just like, Hey, you want to be on this podcast? You know, initially I think everybody is kind of excited right at first. So that gives you that in. Um, but then when you have like a broader message of what you're trying to accomplish or what knowledge you want to push, it makes it that much easier. Uh, and, and you guys have done a, a great job of um, educating me personally just on the shit that you guys talk about because as soon, as soon as it goes, I mean, you guys are throwing words out there that I've got no idea what they are that I'm just later Googling. <laughs> and it's just like, well, you know, you can tell that you guys are very well versed in, in the subjects that you're talking about. Um, so I, I think that that goes a long way when you are doing a podcast is, is being knowledgeable on the, you know, uh, I think subject for both matter. Of us, that would be, that's really satisfying to hear because I mean, we want everybody to take something out of it. Like whether you're in the industry or you're outside the industry. And I think that's where some of our kind of banter between the two of us like works well, you know, cause I'm on the like consumer side, you know, we're actually at the bar and we're trying to educate consumers about, um, spirits and such and Arthur largely does a lot of education in house for the company he works with and like you know trade organizations yeah. and things like that so I can sometimes temper his uh, we def- inability to talk over people's heads we, yeah. we keep each other in check and but we wanted it to be funny and entertaining and communal and that's something we need to reinforce that Ed mentioned is we wanted to you know talk about the community at large and I, I feel like we have um, shamelessly plugged Indianapolis for what it's what it's become, and uh, we're we're proud of that. We're always, there's there's things we got to do, but um, yeah, yeah I love this city. We have fun with it, and I you know I I'm victim of forgetting that I talk. I, I talk. I, there you go. I speak alcohol better than I speak English. I talk alcohol better. Um, Good. Fuck. Uh, but yeah, so he keeps me in check when need be. So, go ahead. Uh, and Arthur say, pulls see, me off bar stools when I'm, or pulls me off the ground when I've fallen out of my bar stool. <laughs> Hell yeah. So you guys kind of talked a little bit about when you first started. You know, sometimes hearing yourself or hearing your own voice. You know, you're you're you are your worst critic, right? That sucks. I hate listening to it. I, I have to just to go back through and make sure levels are good. Yeah, but I, I, I hate. I write the to show notes, so I listen to every episode after the fact and like take you know write down the questions and so so forth for the show notes, but. Uh, my question is, do you guys have critics or people that give you feedback from your episodes? Wives, friends? We have listeners that like reach out and um, occasionally will, you know, make notes. I mean, not, not necessarily like criticizing what we're doing or anything, but just like, hey, I wish you would have asked this or next time could you ask that? Or, hey, this is really awesome. I learned, you know, this thing from mm-hmm. you or whatever. I mean, it's been cool because we've got listeners all over the world now. Yeah. Which has been interesting. So, yeah. Like, We've got a dude in Japan that hit us up um, after our Shochu episode. I know there's um, some, we've got several listeners in like DC and Miami, um, a few in uh, England as well. And so, yeah, it's it's been really cool to, like just to see that we're getting reach for at sure. all. Because I mean, we don't know. I don't, we don't really track stats to see who's listening. For all we know, it's just my mom and his mom. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And I was going to ask that. Do you guys have like a target demographic or you, is your goal to reach worldwide? Is that just the ultimate goal? <laughs> it's not a thin, it's not a thin worldwide. demographic. I mean, we just want to be able to like provide some sort of 
entertainment to people, like I said, inside or outside the industry. Like, we don't want to get so technical that we only uh, appeal to bartenders or bar managers, and we don't want to, like, kind of bring it down so low that it's only appeals to, like, at-home bartenders and consumers. Like, we want to be able to ride that line. It's hard, though. Sometimes, I mean, I feel like it... Episode to episode, it depends. Like, some of them get a little more technical than others, and so... Oh, it's kind of like a car talk for gastronomy. It is, yeah. And, and that's, I, I think, the, the humor aspect of it, like that back and forth banter is kind of what pulls those other people in. Um, I'm My only interest in drinking is that I enjoy drinking, right? But, um, you well, know... You, that's my interest yeah. as well. <laughs> but, you know, as you, as you kind of work your way through different... Um, spirits and drinks and, and categories, you know, you end up wanting to learn more and learning more kind of feeds your desire to drink more. And it, I mean, in a learning sense, not over imbibing, but you know, that, that does t- tend to happen. But then you start enjoying that show even more to your point of car talk. I could care less about cars. I really could. But those brothers are hilarious. Yeah. You know, and they could be old, old timey jokes at, at times, but you know, they're, they're funny dad jokes. And, and then you end up learning a thing or two, you know, Hey, I didn't know that my carburetor would do this. And that's what I, I need was to be actually doing. able to diagnose one of my server's cars. <laughs> just when she came in one day, it was about a year ago. She came in she's like, my car is doing this and it's making this funny sound. I'm like, what does it sound like? Yeah. She told me, I'm, <laughs> and I like just heard an episode of the week before. I'm like, I think I might know what it is. <laughs> you know? I literally it. know nothing of cars, but I'm like, yeah, I think I might be able I to, need to stick my I was correct though. Let me, let me point out. I was correct. <laughs> Um, and it was strictly off a of car talk. Um, with um, this this podcasting thing, I think um, you kind of start off a podcast, and this gets back to you. You know, do you ever listen to yourself talk, or do you get criticism? And you start off with something in your head that you want to talk about. You have an idea. You have a roadmap, but you should deviate. You know, get off topic, and then, but just make sure you come back and then circle back on. And I feel like we we do do that um i there's the self-criticism of your voice you know yeah. like i think ed's got an awesome got that rusty crackly <laughs> sea hag you know voice and then i think i sound like everybody loves raymond mixed with an elephant you know? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a good uh it's <laughs> a good analogy there. I like yeah, that. I just came up with that. You guys do have two of the most interesting voices on <laughs> podcasts. Though, of all the things that I listen to outside of like um, Jocko Willink, you, your guys' voices are, are very distinct. It makes it easier to determine which one of us is speaking yeah. on Mike. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not not getting uh, mixed up on tones like you know, <laughs> WFYI or something from the Saturday Night Live skits. <laughs> So the name Shift Drink, can you guys give a little bit of background on that? I know I, I think a, a few listeners kind of get the idea of Shift Drink. but Yeah, so Shift Drink is kind of a tradition that's going away quite a lot in the restaurant industry. Um, I mean, we don't do it at our restaurants either, but um, for a very long time, and there's still a lot of places out there that do do this, but at the end of your shift, you get that drink um, you know, on the house or whatnot. But it's definitely been a, um, a topic of discussion over the last decade or so because, you know, it's very easily to fall into alcoholism when you work in the spirits and restaurant industry. So, but I mean, that's where the shift drink comes from. Um, you know, this is like the kind of after hours, you know, we, mm-hmm. the shows you're kind of listening after hours, just like you would have your shift drink after your shift, you know, although we still encourage everybody to listen during their shift, just uh, don't get fired for it. Yeah. So I think he came up, you came up with that, right? Yeah. We were, I was talking with the, uh, the Kodo design guys actually. So yeah. I think you had them on your uh, show previously. Yep. They I was talking with Isaac Arthur and, um, yeah, they kind of, we were just spitballing stuff. 
They're they're a common thread for a lot of the people that we we've had on. They're huge. You know? I mean, they've designed logos and websites and all sorts of stuff for for everybody. Well, they did our logo. Our shift drink logo was done by the. Oh, no, no kidding. Yep. Yeah, I like it. How that and for whoever's listening, go out there and look. The eye just kind of connects the two. The, the two words. Website, is that correct? They did the Rook's website, and they also did. No, they did not do our logo. Amy McAdams did our logo. Um, but yeah, they did a website for Black Market okay. and for uh, Shift Drink. And f- nope, take that back. God, I don't even remember who the hell did what. They did Rook and, and Black Market's website. Shift Drink was actually done by the uh, by our producer, uh, Brad Shoemaker. That's creative. Creative cre- zombie. Creative zombie. Yeah. Brad's awesome. Yeah, yeah he does. I did, actually, I, I did have a question about that. You, would you mind talking about Creative Zombie for a second? Like, how, who, who are they? Are they, are they local to Indianapolis? Yeah, or? I don't know all that much. I, I guess uh, you, sometimes you ask your guests who should who should be on next. Maybe yeah. you should have Brad. <laughs> but um, he's got like a podcast studio. Um, we've been to a couple times, right? I've been there a couple times. Yeah, we went yeah, to the Christmas I've party been there a couple times. Yeah, so he's because he does a lot of like also. Uh, video along with the audio okay. he produces shows for like christy lee and so like lo- local radio personalities hammer and nigel will have a show with him uh he worked for uh wfbq for a long time um doing production work i don't know what to say other than production work because i don't know what the fuck is involved in radio gotcha. he has a stuffed life-size gr- uh gremlin that is awesome yeah. <laughs> I, did, I did see that he, i did see that picture yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah he paid a lot of money and it took a long time for oh, that to it, arrive it, too. it didn't look cheap no no it, it's it's pretty bad it's it a flat it looked, out movie prop it looked legit well, yeah. he said that the guy that made it, what was he, in Iceland or something weird, weird like that? But the guy has the original molds from Gremlins. Really? Oh, my God. I used to be one of my favorites back in the day. Yeah, it's super cool. What was the name of that chick in that movie? Oh, oh she was hot. Yeah. that's Is that, is that the same girl who was in Fast Times at Ridgemont High with the infamous getting naked in the pool? Oh, I don't know. She was like, well, I haven't seen Gremlins forever, man. I know. I, I can't think of the girl in Gremlins, but I know who you're talking about from. You've seen Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Yeah, right? of course. Okay. I don't remember the actress's name. Okay. But you remember the scene. Nor, yeah, I remember the I mean, scene. We, we can talk about That's how 80s movies scene, yeah, like were. That, Mr. Hand. If, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> that took a weird turn. <laughs> Google it. The professor asshole. <laughs> um, we, but, have we insulted our host yet? We, we did that with Jake. I think we did in the first line. Actually. All right, all right. Um, uh, so 80s movies rock. Uh, we can all agree on that, right? Gremlins, Fast Times. It's an interesting decade. You know, more more and more I'm finding that I, I'm loving 80s music. Um, there's just something about it. And maybe I went through a phase with, like, electronic music, like hardcore electronic music. And the more that I'm listening to 80s, Is that the an more... appropriate, like, genre, hardcore electronic music? <laughs> no. No, like, I think I was hardcore about listening oh, okay, to it. Right, more right. so than hardcore electronic. That's, like... <laughs> Death metal electric. There's some DJs out there that would probably. Well, some of that dubstep stuff gets pretty insane, man. It just rattles the bones out of your body. Mm. I don't really listen to it too much, but it's good to work out to though. Some time to time. Oh, absolutely. Throw down. So, you know, what, what have you guys learned uh, over? You know, how, how many episodes in are you guys now? Oh man, 30? I think we just put 32 up. Today, uh, that aired with Brother Cleave. I think that's 32. Yeah. And it's been about we do a year, every other right? week. You we're, guys are starting like September uh, of year, last year? September of last year. Okay. So we we're over a year in. We decided to do every other week because we have really hectic schedules. Yep. And to do a weekly podcast, 
I think we could have pulled it off for like probably two months, and then we would have been much. like, I can't it's, make it. It's oh, tough. It's stressful. This it's, guy, this guy stresses me out to my left here. So <laughs> yeah, and so I mean that was also the reason why we worked with Creative Zombie to do the finishing uh, production work because if we had to do that, we would never get anything That's online, and it would be sporadic. Yeah, I spent a good two two and a half hours every Sunday writing show notes yeah. and re listening episodes. And I just can't spends, do that. I technically can't but i do it right now yeah, the, um, the securing of guests too yeah I mean, that's scheduling of people is, i feel like we're always like we don't know who's gonna be on the next episode but we need them by tomorrow <laughs> oh man yeah so are, you guys are kind of like fly by the seat of your pants on we've on got feelers <laughs> out to like everybody you're talking about writing two or three hours of notes fuck that yeah right what? i mean we literally show up half the time we don't have notes at all I'm lucky if i google some before i come um, <laughs> See, but, he has to ask questions off of Wikipedia on a number of occasions. <laughs> like he's got his laptop up with Wikipedia like, I so I see here. I also <laughs> fucking laugh at myself about that. So <laughs> I'm not like a huge Wikipedia subscriber or anything. But yeah, I mean, we just, we had to do that. There was just no way, but I mean, we've got feelers out to answer your question. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, with us, with bartenders and like liquor reps and distribution companies and brand ambassadors winemakers distillers we just were like if you've got somebody cool coming into town let us know yeah um you know and so and sometimes it's just a matter of like happenstance like with brother cleave i walked into black market and he was sitting at my bar with uh, a local distributor and i had no idea that he was even going to be in town um me being a tiki guy and then um you know just also knowing the cocktail history of like the kind of the guys that brought back this kind of revival that we're seeing now. I was like, holy shit, Brother Cleve sitting at my bar. That's amazing. He's one of the most interesting people that Did I've ever. Listen? Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. So I was just right. captivated by the amount of things that this guy does. Um, just the sheer number of records that he sold um, is probably tenfold the amount of records that I have in my collection. I started so, listening to some of his mixes on uh, Mixcloud last night. As the I was Bollywood mixes or? Yes. And it's so good. Like, and they're like hour and a half long mixes. I thought they were going to be like a track by track kind of thing, but each one, and he's got dozens up there, and they're each like an hour plus. Yeah, he's su super cool guy. For anybody, um, go out there and listen to it. It's uh, the most recent episode you guys put out there, right? Yeah, it just, uh, just came out today. Yeah, uh, Brother Cleve, he was a very, very interesting dude. Speaking of which, what would you say is, I mean, you don't have to necessarily rate it, but what would you say was your favorite or one of your most memorable episodes that you guys did? Or experiences maybe you had because of we the have short memories. <laughs> like, uh, what did we do last week? Uh, that was the one. Um, oh, I yeah, I know how Arthur might answer. The, the funniest one is, and the least educational one was with Chris Benedict. Um, that, yeah, that was definitely a memorable one of uh, well, love, love the first half. You guys got <laughs> for me. You guys got pretty wild. Oh my yeah. god, dude. he's just so funny, and he's just such he a is great, hilarious guy. Um, so it was, it was great to have him on, and great to, you know, if we could drive any business to, to what he does, uh, he and his lovely wife. So that was the funniest, but again, least informative. <laughs> yeah. um, and what's Chris's background? If you don't mind me asking, because I don't. Uh, he owns Love Handle. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Awesome. They're moving to. They're Mass moving to Mass, yeah, Mass right across Africa's from really awesome. Black Market, yeah, which is going to be great. That's the second time. Um, Ray Vanderveer from Rural Inn actually said Love Handles is hands down favorite restaurant. Oh, he's right around the corner. There. Yeah, yeah. Right, exactly. So that's interesting. Cool. Yeah, I, uh, I, I don't know. Like, I mean, the rum ones always stand out to me, but I mean, you know, we've had Ben, jo ben Jones on a couple of times, Alexander Gabriel. That was a big one for me. Um, but 
you know, like you just said, like, I mean, I'm, it's not, a, it's a joke because yes, it is the most recent one and I can't <laughs> go back through my memory bank right on the spot and remember all 32 episodes with clarity, but he, he's just a renaissance man. I mean, he's yeah. been, he's toured the country. He's open for Tom Petty. He's, I mean, toured the world, you know, yeah. he was part of the, a very small group of bartenders that brought back this cocktail scene and he's got amazingly cool stories about everything i could have sat there for six hours and never got bored of listening to him central brewing state was really fun and then mezcal especially when you pronounce the name correctly (laughs) oh sorry guys central state brewing (laughs) that was uh john candyman on that episode right i think they're i think they're brewing state is usually slightly intoxicated I, I appreciate Ed calling that out because I was, I was going to let it go. I was just no, man, call it out. Like, Whatever. Everyone knows what to expect from me. And I, mean, I kept calling Chris's restaurant Handlebar. Yeah, you did. That's right. I yeah. love Handle. Like, whatever you know come on you, you know in, in that that last episode you you kind of always hope that you run into people like that that just have you know no matter how many times you talk to that person they'll always have a story that you've never heard before and he just seems like that that kind of guy of just like has a story about it and especially with the things that he's done just has a story about literally everything but you know that again it goes back to that like it's a reason to sit down with cool people like if you let people tell their story and you know, I mean, sometimes we interrupt them, of course, because we consume alcohol during the show. But like everybody's got cool stories. It's just, you know, it's trying to get it out of them. Yep. You know, I mean, some people on a mic are a little bit more comfortable talking about what they've done. Um, but everybody's got cool stories. Like even if it's just, you know, walking down the street one day, yeah. I mean, a 20 minute walk and like, oh, man, I saw this crazy guy on the side of the street, you know, whatever. So, yeah, I mean, it's I, I don't feel like. There's been one better guest than another because totally. everybody's just got different kinds of stories, which are really cool. Yeah. Do you think that that's been part of the struggle um, is figuring out what to ask or how to ask it? Um, no, I mean, it, we've been extremely fortunate to have a lot of the guests we've had. And that comes back to our relationships between wholesalers of wine and spirits and distributors and uh, retailers and we've just had exposure to some some really awesome gifts so i don't think we've ever had that much of a difficult time in actually finding like what to talk about but you know we one of us usually takes some kind of notes down um, <laughs> it's usually only one of us usually only I'm one assuming of us. It's not, Ed. right not not no 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 it's, it's <laughs> no it literally he it, he literally has i do notes this time but out. like usually i will have to say usually it's arthur that has the notes i'm here to talk about um, myself i don't need notes on that shit <laughs> i lived it so it's different but um, we yeah. go back and forth um, we go back and forth between who's hungover we go back and forth yeah. between who's actually drunk at the time of the podcast. Luckily, it's usually not both of us at the same time. <laughs> Although we Take did turns. challenge that with the cocktail walk episode. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> or two episodes, yeah, because we got so drunk we lost track of time. Yeah. So, um, but no, I mean, you, you pick the right guests and you pick the right topics. Um, another one of I mean, my favorite episodes was when we did um, uh, what's her name? The Bee Lady? 
Oh, yeah, Kate Franzman. So he was like, let's talk with Kate because she's like a local bee person. And we're like, well, that's mm. part of the community. That's awesome. Yeah. And I was like, well, let's throw some meat on this shit, too. And we can use that yeah. to, to segue. To add bread on, in. right? Yeah. yeah. And I, I just thought that was a, a great episode. Really, really informative. I mean, I learned yeah. so much. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, that's the thing, too, is like we we want to learn. Totally. It's not we just don't want to like regurgitate the things that we already know. We don't we're not going to ask the questions that are pointed just to get somebody to spit back out what we already know. We want to learn. Like, again, it goes back to that. Like, you know, it's a good reason to like meet interesting people and talk to interesting people because we can learn from them as well. And so sometimes it may be the only hour that we actually have their attention. So it's cool that we actually get it recorded and so we can go back to it and listen. I mean, I've, I've gone back despite my apprehension about listening to my own voice, gone back and listened to older episodes because I remember, you know, like Ben Jones is a good example going back and listening to some of the things that he mentioned about Martinique or the AOC or whatnot. And so like having that as record is super cool. So if you had advice to give somebody who's, for example, is trying to get kicked off on a podcast or they're interested in maybe starting something, just kind of getting their voice out, what, what would be your first thing that you just tell them? Oh, so we can give you advice on getting kicked off of a podcast. <laughs> getting a podcast Oh, I, I misheard that. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, my first impulse is don't tell me about a harmonica competition that you won when you were fucking 10 years old for 30 minutes. <laughs> Still need to figure out which one that was. Um... You know who you are, harmonica guy. <laughs> <laughs> Son of a bitch, you wasted my life. Um, you know, try and find good topics and don't just talk about you know, something for sake of just talking about something. That's kind of dead air. Um, be confident in your, your ability to, to, to deserve to sit at the table. If someone doesn't like it, they're just not going to fucking listen to it. It's a podcast, you yeah. know? I mean, you're not, I'm, we're not going for Academy Awards or any <laughs> shit here. And, you know, obviously, you're not making any money, although we've, you know, memories are priceless. <laughs> um, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so, um, don't be afraid to go off script, but just make sure you off come script back. as if we have a script. As, as script. <laughs> well, make sure you you circle back, you know, because yeah. I I love just coming up with shit when it comes to my head or you know attacking or complimenting or agreeing with something someone else says. Um, but I always make sure I try to remember to circle back to what the hell we'll be originally talking about and getting back on point. And sometimes your your guest will help you with that. Yeah, what well, can uh, be difficult to do when you're drinking. You know? Totally. <laughs> oh, there's been some really cool info come out on some of our episodes or stories just by not having a rigid structure, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, because I mean, whenever, if there's somebody out there that's been interviewed extensively, I, I will try to, before we interview somebody, go on and like maybe listen to another podcast that they've been on to intentionally make sure we're not just repeating the same Asking like, the same line. questions. And, yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, like, it can just become one big giant interview at that point it's like you know i mean like martin kate um is you know huge in tiki world and smugglers cove out in san francisco he's never been our guest that's why i'm using it as an example but i've listened to a bunch of interviews with him and i've read a lot of interviews with him especially when he was doing his book tour last year and it was like the same 15 questions every single time so like i just stopped paying attention because i like okay well i've already heard this or i've already read this yeah. so Sometimes when you do veer off topic, like Arthur said, you know, you can, you can get these weird little fun gems. Like, what? But again, this most recent episode, but when Brother Cleve was talking about being down in Mexico with Esquivel drinking, you know, booze that he had there, and like right. that was a cool little story. That I mean, I'm sure other people out there have heard it, but it's not part of the standard issue. Totally. Like, 
So you're it. a bigwig in this business or whatnot. So yeah. yeah, that's cool. I like that. A lot Learning. of times your guests will keep you on point. Yeah, they always keep us on point. Um, <laughs> Eric from uh, our show shoe episode was really good at ignoring me and just be like, okay. So anyway, <laughs> yeah, Jake yeah, did the same thing. Jake did the same thing. You just ben kept, Jones has done kept it. Kept talking about the breweries, kept talking about the breweries, and then I, I would. Make oh, Josh! Josh really kept us on point. He was ignoring our hammer. Right? Hammer. Right? Yeah. yeah. Sorry. So, did you guys ever have like the aim to to stay local or, or focus on? on just having a locality about you or did you always know that you would go out there and explore the relationships that you had from the businesses that you guys we haven't really uh, thought about it all that much i mean we definitely we don't want to hide the fact that we're in indiana i mean because this is a great cool city that we want to put emphasis on like even if we're interviewing somebody from out of town that's coming through you know we always make you know make some mention of being in indiana like i mean that's one of the rules we did set out um, in the beginning is that everyone we interview it has to be in person yeah. we're not doing phone interviews I mean we could do that but I mean that kind of defeats the purpose of like showcasing that we're not a flyover state you know if we have to call somebody to be on the show then that kind of just yeah. reinforces that that myth that nobody stops through here yeah. it's kind of an unspoken thing between you and I I think that just phone had never been oh, yeah. or, or no, video sure. conference uh, had just never been on the table are you guys both from Indiana Pretty much. I am. Yeah. Yeah. No. Indianapolis part or? Southside. Okay. Ditto. Nice. Are you? Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh, we yeah, talked about that before. Southport, Did, Greenwood area. Was there a point where you moved to Indiana or was there like a vacation point where you left for an extended period of time? You said kind of. Uh, you mean like uh, where I live somewhere else? Well, uh, yeah. Like were you born and raised here? Or were you born somewhere else and then had moved to Indiana? I was actually, Indiana? I was born in, in Louisville. Okay. Um, and I was raised here. And I just, I've been very fortunate in my wholesale profession, which I've been doing for probably 15 years. And then before that, I was doing retail and I was doing um, restaurants as well. Um, I've been fortunate where I've always worked places where I could, could learn solid information and I could travel. So I've always been able to go wherever the hell that I would want to actually live and still enjoy the, the genuine nature of, of um, Hoosiers mm-hmm. and the low cost of living and the cleanliness of the city. And I, I felt like I could make a difference, at least me personally, and I think Ed feels the same way. It's, 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 it feels really gratifying to be able to be part of a community and, and think and hope and feel that you actually drive the needle in some way. Um, and yeah. that's embraced by the community and appreciated. And there's a lot of us um, that are on that front line. And yep. they're, they're doing education. They're doing awesome food. They're doing awesome cocktail programs here. And, you know, you don't got to pay 30 bucks for a fucking cocktail here. <laughs> Which so, is always nice. Yeah. Yeah. So it's um, in the past several years... The more and more I travel to cities I've been traveling to for a very long time, the more and more I'm reminded when I sit down and have that drink or eat that food that it's like, you know, I can get a cocktail this good in Indianapolis. Yep. I can get food this good in Indianapolis. So, and there are exceptions. Has that that changed over the years for you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this was a tough town to eat and drink in as short as 15 years ago with a few exceptions. Um, and it's it's became blatantly obvious that our future from a beverage community is within the 
cocktail community, the brewing community, and the uh, distilling community. Uh, not that we don't have any shortage of, of wineries uh, throughout the state, and um, you know they generate a lot in the way of uh, tourist dollars. But um, Indianapolis itself is it's becoming a, a beer and a cocktail spirits oriented town. So kind of leading with that, would you guys mind, I, we, I think we skipped this whole entire piece that we normally go over in the very beginning. Well, we can but, derail other people's shows too. <laughs> so kind of tying things back through, uh, Ed, do you mind kind of talking a little bit and I guess bragging about yourself, like wh- everything you're involved I'm in? I'm brag if you, about shit. If you don't, I, <laughs> I, don't, I, I got any, a giant... I don't know anything I've got about a, what I do than giant list here about you so just kind of tell the you know tell people what you're involved in i mean i'm a restaurateur so um we opened my wife and i opened a thai restaurant um, uh, a little over nine years ago um and then we've opened a couple places since then um partnered with michael frank at uh, black market a couple years after that we opened in 2011 there we opened Rook in 2013, um, and again, that's Chef Carlos Salazar's uh, business partner there. And then um, Josh Gonzalez at Thunderbird, and I mean, Josh has definitely has tons of accolades behind him as well, yep. and well-known in the, in the cocktail community nationwide, but uh, he and a previous landlord of mine already um, had a business plan going, and they were going to open a bar, and I kind of got invited in a little bit later on. Um, I had a liquor license, so that was always a big plus. Uh, you know. Your invitation. Yeah, I had, I had an extra liquor license hanging around. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's that's where you can find me pretty much seven days a week is in one of those restaurants, just usually in the back. Um, you know, these days I'm spending a lot of days in the kitchen at Siam just kind of helping to organize the food or whatnot but yeah i mean i don't do anything fancy you know it sounds a lot sexier on the outside than it does on the inside that's for sure it's a lot of hard work and you kind of mentioned it off off mic here a little bit ago the fact that you know not necessarily sit in front of a computer but you're probably answering a lot more emails and doing a lot of back office stuff more so than it so i always say like the the I don't want to say the more professional you become, but like the, the deeper you get into like doing the thing that you love, the farther away from yep. the thing that you love it that position is. Like yeah. I mean, nobody gets in the restaurant business to like sit in front of a computer and do paperwork. You know, I mean that's the the attraction is the activity, getting up, doing stuff, making drinks, like just being interactive with guests, whatnot. But yeah, um, and of course, then you know when you once you take the plunge into ownership, it's. You know, you still try to keep that creative side of you, like, fed, but, you know, there's definitely a lot of non-creative aspects of the job, which is handling the books and costs and all that. And is that for you, me, that do was... Do you do that? Oh, yeah. 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 And that, for me, that was one of the reasons, to, like, to do the podcast is, like, it's a reason to, like, get out of my office. A creative outlet. And have some sort of creative outlet, yeah. Yeah, there's you, a big difference between payday and payroll. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> do you find yourself getting pulled to different directions or different oh. projects? Like, how, like that's, that's, an where, like, that's one man. of the questions I had for you. Is like, how do you manage your time? Like, literally, you, that's exactly you just you just summed it up in one sentence. I wait for the phone calls to start coming in because I know that there's going to be an issue somewhere at any given hour. Yeah. So I just I kind of go and I. I think I'm going to start at my day at one of the restaurants and then inevitably a phone call comes in 20 minutes later, you know, the dishwasher is sick or, you know, mm-hmm. I'm short a person here <laughs> or we're really busy. We need somebody to help bar back or whatever. And so is that you then? That's me. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't want, I don't want to be so big where I can just sit on my sofa, you know, and whatever manage from afar. Um, I mean, we have a great team now though. I mean, I, 
I'm sure there's a lot of times where I'm not necessary and I'm just like that extra appendage because my management has it down and my bartenders are great and my servers are fantastic and, and everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing. But I mean, I'd go crazy if I just sat at home all the time. Yeah. I just, I, I've been on the move. Well, since I had my last office job at 23 years old, and like I, you couldn't pay me to go back to an office job. There's <laughs> not, not enough money. You said appendage. <laughs> <laughs> We'll leave it to Arthur to keep it classy. Well, and, and Arthur, you're you're very accomplished as well in in the beverage community. So speak a little bit about your background and how you're able to speak so knowledgeably. You know, when you guys are doing episodes about the things that you're you're drinking. Well, Wikipedia, of course. <laughs> well, you, said, you, said earlier, you said earlier that you weren't a big Wikipedia. No, guy. I am not. I'm <laughs> giving that a hard time. Um, I used to love to talk about myself when I was younger. Um, I don't really give a shit now. Was that when you were wearing the sports jacket? <laughs> no, I was. Uh, I, I could totally see wearing a sports jacket with like <laughs> just dying to talk about yourself. I was older than that because I didn't have <laughs> any legs underneath me or any street cred. But um, street cred. I've got a, I've got a list here that I can I can go from if you want. I want to hear it. You uh, want to hear it? We can go. Let's hear the list. I'm, I'm curious what the list is. Society okay. of Wine Educator, Certified Specialist of Wine, Certified Spanish Specialist, Certified French Specialist, Specialist, Certified Sake Specialist, Certified Spirit Specialist, Advanced Sommelier, Level One. I'm going to get this wrong. How do you say it, Fabian? Uh, Cicerone. Cicerone. There you go. <laughs> Cicerone. There, I, Cicerone, which is... <laughs> you know, he did ask me earlier, I did ask earlier and how to pronounce beer, it. correct? Yeah. Yes. Um, advanced Level 3 through Wine and Spirits Education Trust and founder and president of Indiana Craft Beverage Association. So, to say the least, you sound like a pretty well-versed individual. Um, you know, some of those are more... Impressive than others. But yeah, <laughs> I, um, you know, when I get into something, I get into something. Absolutely. And um, when I started getting into wine, I started working in restaurants. And I loved, oh, I always loved cooking. And um, I kind of looked at the back of the house and I looked at the front of the house. All the guys in the back of the house were busting their ass, cutting themselves, burning themselves, working later shifts, and all the service professionals. Service professionals. We're all dressed up, kind of meticulous, you know, chiseled out, just rocking out with guests with beautiful descriptions of food and, and wine. And it's like, all right, man, I can do that. Uh, and then that led into me working retail so I could learn more about wine. And right about then, I started down my path of acquiring way too many post-nominals. <laughs> um, and it just all kind of built and built. And then I would go out and work harvest. And I actually I um, did some work... Um, pro bono for a while, just uh, assisting in winemaking um, at Chateau Thomas out in um, Plainfield, which does a pretty good job. They import a lot of the grapes and get you know pretty decent quality fruit, and it taught me more about winemaking. And all this while, I became more and more assessed with organoleptic exception, uh, assessment, and um, you know, the, the more you can understand something on a micro level, the more you can understand it in a macro level. So taking that, that thirst for knowledge, which simultaneously put me in position to call out a lot of fucking wine reps that were constantly bullshitting me on bogus factoids. Mm -hmm. That was actually a major, major motivating factor when I was first starting to learn and I would hear discrepancies. It's like, all right, fuck it, I'm going to do the research and I'm going to call you out when you try and feed me, feed me some bullshit about, for instance, you know, a Chateauneuf de Pop wine or something like that. Taking that... 
and then just going down that pathway of, of trying to harness and build your organic spectrometer on the end of your face, your your muscle, your nose muscle. Um, yeah, I mean that just kind of is the path that I've I've gone down, and um, it was. Beverage was pretty much everything to me, I'd say, up until about five years ago. <laughs> and then I realized that uh, rather than drinking the most awesome beverages in the world with sometimes mediocre people that I would rather... <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm not calling out names, but, you know, you, you go to tasting groups and tasting societies and conferences and conventions, and there's a lot of douchebags in our industry. There really, there's a lot of pretension. There's a lot of, you know, just pompous pricks um i, I love you us I, included I, yeah, yeah, I, I like this right now you're calling everyone out love it not that i've never been called right that. yeah um, like i bet you've never been called a pompous prick oh i have i, I got called a pompous <laughs> asshole today actually. someone called me that today but Queso it, preso. it was uh she she's booking an event and um it's an event that i've been asked back to do a, a few years it's a, a, a conference and um, she was like, yeah, I remember you. You know, you were playing off that the pompous asshole role because I was lecturing there. And it's like, well, I, I think you kind of misinterpreted my pitch. But, yeah, you know, I, I was making fun of pompous assholes in character, actually. Um, it's like you're Stephen Colbert. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of the gig I was doing, you know. But, fuck, they asked me back. They, I'm know. not Arthur Black. I am playing the character of Arthur Black. I am Arturo Negro. Um... But um, what the hell was I saying? Oh, um, I started off in search of consuming and trying the very best beverages in the world and going to as many places as possible, sometimes at risk of being in mediocre circles or company. And now I'd rather be in great company and drink mediocre wine any day of the week. So I, I seriously tried to not think about alcohol as much as I used to because it was, it was all data. It was all just assessment mm -hmm. and breaking down beverage uh, into how it was made and when it was made and you know what are those esters and oh you know this is a rather pyrazinic or this has a lot of different terpenes in it or you know this is showing um, uh, trimethylhydroxylene if I can butcher that which is the diesel characteristic yeah. that you find in Riesling from um, ripening issues vascular My ripening favorite issues notes. love that about riesling so yeah it's a great aromatic but why can't you just say this has a lovely nose of slate or diesel or tennis ball or converse sneaker however hell you identify that character <laughs> inner tube tire is another one you know why do you have to know this you know 10 syllable technical word for it i don't know not a lot of people care but when you can actually pronounce it right it's a good party trick <laughs> So I think one of, one of the things that you said that um, really resonates with me is that it, it sounds like you, you, you've moved past um, wanting to go out and experience that thing and, and rather have the experience kind of in the moment. So, you know, tasting mediocre drinks with great company is a much better experience than tasting great things in, in mediocre company. And we were recently uh, suggested a guest on the show. I believe his name is Michael Kaufman. And I was listening to one of his talks and he said something about, you know, the, the experience of something is always different. You know, even though it could be the same thing, like a song, 
you know, if there's going to be emotion or temperature or, or the environment in which you're in that you're listening to that thing that's going to make it unique every single sure. time. And something like a mediocre wine or a mediocre, you know, just regular Jim Beam white label can go from being subpar when you're sitting by yourself to being absolutely amazing and great company. Um, so to what you said, I think that that's the, the larger take from that is experience is everything. I mean, I think that's what a lot of like... Anyone who's worked in a restaurant, right. sorry, Ed. Anyone who's worked in a restaurant has had that couple that just spent a weekend in Tuscany and are like, yeah. oh, we were in Tuscany. We had the most beautiful carafe wine. It was only two euros. And it was like, no, it wasn't the most beautiful wine ever. You were in fucking Tuscany. Right. <laughs> you know. I was going to say, it's, like, it's that emotional like trigger. Connection. Yeah. I mean, like, there's things that I absolutely love just because they can trigger you. And that's what we try to do in the restaurant business. You know, I'm like... A lot of the food that you, we serve, I mean, with Chef Carlos, he's trying to evoke that emotional response or it's like calls back to his childhood and it talks to him or Micah, you know, growing up in, you know, northern Indiana and, and the experience he has behind him and what we do at the bar and try to, to you know, reflect that. I mean, you know, some of my best experiences, you know, with beverages just been, like Arthur said, with really fun, cool friends and maybe we weren't drinking the, the like the highest end, most rare bottle we could get our hands on, but... You know, it's that experience. What I remember of it is the fun that we had. Mm-hmm. You know, tasting notes are good for academia, but, you know, when it comes down to, like, your day-to-day life, that's why we always start with, you know, what you drink last night? Because a lot of the times those answers are not some rare bottle, you know? Yeah. It's just, like, whatever we wanted to drink or made us feel good at the moment. Um, Arthur has fancier stuff at his house <laughs> than I have at mine, but... I don't, man. I cleaned a lot of my stuff out. Um, Is that what we're calling it? <laughs> AKA drinking it. <laughs> well, hell, we were just having a conversation about that, you know, before even getting here about drinking through what you've got on your shelf. So yeah, I, I mean, I used to have the this most insane back bar uh, in our dining room, and there was there's literally, I mean, easily over 300 different bottles, and people would come over and they'd just be like, Jesus Christ, man, <laughs> you have a drinking problem. Um, and no, not really anymore. I, that, a good friend of mine um, who's local in the community, Rob Garber, always would say that he's in the business of drinking wine and not collecting it. Um, yeah. Very knowledgeable fella. He's a, a local wine rep, does a great job. And um, for the first time in my life, the past few years, that perspective of just don't overthink it don't analyze it every conversation doesn't have to fucking be about wine every conversation doesn't have to be about you know that that restaurant that you went to like in in foodie circles especially in wine circles you know you get together and 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 have a night and everyone just they'll rattle off about this this and this and i just got to a point where it was like shut up man let's 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 talk about the Muppets, you know, well, it, something. It, it's yeah. it's an easy trap to fall into. It's like doing CrossFit or being vegan. It's just like, you know, you're going to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, that thing. I mean, it is. It's a delicate balance because you get really deep into it. And so there is a point at which you're like, oh, geez, I like Arthur always says he he can speak alcohol better than he can speak English. And like because that's what we talk about all day. Yeah. That's our profession. And that's also bled over into personal life. So speaking of shelves at home, I have plenty of bottles of I, I realize I'm now uh, contradicting myself I have a lot of like rare bottles and stuff at home but for that reason they don't all get consumed super quickly because just me my wife doesn't really drink that much um, how many bottles are we talking you know I've been trying to keep it under under 80 <laughs> so like when, if I get to that point I'm also limiting myself now about um, how many bottles are open I, I don't want to have any more than five bottles open at any given time so 
before I open an, another one that I'm curious about, I'll make sure that one of them gets finished. And I brought a bottle of um, one of those limited rums here today. So, nice. you know, like, again, share the, sharing the, the wealth. I mean, because, I mean, drinking is a communal thing. If you're sitting around drinking by yourself, then you might have deeper... Uh, Deeper things to worry about, you know. Keep that to yourself, Ed. I mean, I sit around. I'll, I'll enjoy a glass of rum at the end of the night, you know, by myself occasionally. But I'm not going to sit and drink a half a bottle by myself. Yeah. You got a Glen Cairn glass right here. Well, how about that? Yeah, look at we're all fancy. Speaking of like, oh, screw all the pretentiousness. And like we bring our specialty glassware to the table. I, I like the pomp and circumstance around some of those things, though. You it's know, it's ritual. And, and, yeah, yeah, it's of fun. Course. Yeah. I mean, it's it's one thing to drink wine out of a solo cup, but it's another to have the glass, you know, in your hand and and have again go to go back to the experience of it all. I'm all for ritual, but it, when when it turns into judgment, yeah, is yep. what became my issue. And I've I've drank with so many judgmental people. I've had this and you haven't. Oh, I have this in my cellar and you do not. I've been here and it's just like. You know, again, I can't believe I evolved to a point where I was like, it's just wine, man. Because mm-hmm. for 15 years, it was everything. Um, I, there, was, there was probably a 10-year period where I didn't go to the bathroom without rattling off appellations in my head of some obscure wine region. I didn't listen to music in my car for about five years. I had 2,000 flashcards in the seat of my car just going through and memorizing all this crap that wow. who cares? Well, it's only relevant if you're going through academia. Um, and by and large, most of your friends don't give a shit. Not at all. Do you think some of that mindset that changed? I mean, I, I did, did some creeping on you and I saw that you're into yoga quite a bit. Is that something that kind of helped from a mindfulness aspect that allowed you to say, kind of just take a deep breath and say like, you know, I don't need to be all about academia when it comes to uh, speaking about spirits or? Well, I, mean, I got into yoga for just overall anger management. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm throwing that out there. All right. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I suppose some of it put it in, in perspective, but it's um, not as much as just, I, I, I think just, and people are going to laugh when I say this, just reaching a, an age or a maturity where it's like, okay, man, like, no one really cares that much. Like, I've told enough people that don't care, and I've read it in their faces, and now I'm just, I'm becoming more conscious of other things in life that are more relevant. Mm-hmm. Every right. trip you take doesn't have to be to wine country. You know, it doesn't have to be about beverage. And I, I love um, trips, you know. I was going to say, having said this, you just came off of, what, like three wine trips? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've, I've done a decent amount of traveling this year. And, and you know, they're great experiences. Um, some better than others. You know, I mean, going to wine country, going to visit distilleries and or breweries or whatever, is it doesn't suck, especially if you, you know, um, you got a passion for that kind of thing. But just there's something to be said about just sitting on a beach with a shitty pilsner or, you know, a mediocre margarita or something. And you're not like drinking highballs at the deuce in Miami. (laughs) Exactly. You know, like shitty beer is okay at certain points. You know, if it's ice cold and you're eating carnitas, perfect fucking occasion for mediocre beer. Um, I think that's the thing like across the board, like you get so caught up in your own BS you know for a while because you kind of you start out and you have to prove to other people that you're 
worthy of doing the thing that you Absolutely. are trying to do. And then, like, you get down the road and you realize we're not curing fucking cancer here. Yep. Like, what we're doing is completely unimportant to the vast majority of the world. Like, we may take it really seriously and take ourselves too seriously at times, but then you have to take a step back here, like, no, the fucking people over at IU Med Center, they're doing important work. We're tasting alcoholic beverages. I couldn't say it better. <laughs> Absolutely. I concur 100%. Um, and like when in like my mid thirties, when I was kind of coming around to this, that you know, that's kind of my. Arthur's thing. over forty now. I am not. <laughs> <laughs> I am. He's 40. real sensitive about it, man. <laughs> um, but people would say, you know, what's going on? How's work going? And my first impulse would be, well, you know, I'm not curing cancer. They'd <laughs> be like, well, okay. Um, yeah, but I, I'm not. You know, I mean, I I'm an alcohol evangelist. Yeah. I teach people about consumption of um, cool stuff. It's a, you know, it's a very first world problem to have. I was going to say, we're pretty privileged to be able to take those kind of trips. Absolutely. You know, like I would have never imagined, even 10 years ago, I mean, I was a manager for Buffalo Wild Wings for 10 years, and like if you would have gone back to that me and said, oh no, you're going to go to Alsace, and you're going to travel Italy and go to vineyards there, and go travel Caribbean and go to rum distilleries, I would have been like... I don't even care about that stuff, you know? I mean, that's just its funny how fast life changes. But again, you know, like we're really privileged to be able to do those sorts of things and that people want us to be there to learn about the way they make things or distill in their traditions. And that, to me, I mean, that it, it speaks to what we talked about in the beginning about the podcasting. Yep. Like everybody having a story, every spirit has a story. And I mean, when I know Arthur is not really in sales, he's in education, but I mean, like, selling a product like not literal sales but like selling you on the idea of a product i mean it's the stories that you care about you know and you see that all the time on like reality television and stuff like or like cooking shows you know we're like tell the story of that food tell the story of why yeah, I mean, that thing is important to you and it's like yes this is a very damn good rum but when you get into it and you know the history of this distillery a little bit more it's even that much more exciting exactly. same thing with you know the wines that he he's got out there i mean the families they're real people like they have families themselves and you know they might be fourth generation their great great grandfather like you know made it through a war to and kept the winery open you know, that kind of stuff's really neat I, um, I love it when I run into a friend or someone posts something on Facebook like, I love following your travels and adventures. And it's like, I'm not Bilbo Baggins. You know? <laughs> <laughs> what are you, adventures? What are you hey, man, speak about? for yourself, man. I totally want to be Bilbo. <laughs> Far over. <laughs> I can do the whole song now. No, okay. All right. So oh, I'm sure you, yeah. And you kind of mentioned, talked a little bit about, you know, just briefly about the bottle here. Can you can you give us a little bit of background what we have been sipping on here with this this rum? Yeah. Um, so if you've heard our show at all before, um, you know that I have two particular rum obsessions or regions, and those would be um, rum agricole from Martinique and Guadeloupe, um, or really in general, but primarily. I mean, Martinique is the only like. Appalachian AOC that you have in the rum world for agricole. But uh, that, and then there would be like uh, really funky pot still high ester Jamaican rum, which is what I brought today. Um, it's a bottle that was done, uh, this bottling was done for KNL, uh, which we actually cannot order uh, mail order booze in Indiana due to our liquor laws. So I had to have a friend of mine have the ship to his home in St. Louis, and I picked it up when I was there to go see Iron Maiden a couple months ago. Um, but it comes from Worthy Park, uh, which is a fantastic distillery in Jamaica. 
they are complete estate production. They grow the cane. They refine the sugar. Oh, wow. In fact, they stopped distilling. It's a very old distillery, um, over 230 years old, 240 years old, something like that, 1700s. But they, um, in 1960, they stopped distilling, um, and they just moved over into sugar production. There was a number of reasons for that. Um, and a previous guest of ours, Matt Petrick, has written extensively about Worthy Park. So anybody interested in the history of it can just like Google yeah. Cocktail Wonk and Worthy Park. But um, yeah, so this was uh, distilled in 2006 and uh, aged for 10 years. Um, and it was a bottling just only done for K&L. Um, it just, to me, it, it hits on everything I love about Jamaican rum. You know, it's, when I say high ester, I'm talking about all those like funky, fruity qualities or like Alexander Gabriel calls them, you know, just like the volatile components where you smell like that kind of overripe banana. Um, and that's big. Yeah. Like definitely some like creme brulee notes and like uh, one of the big notes that I really like about Jamaican pot still rum is just like they're really, when I say funky, I mean, everybody's always talks about like Jamaican funk, but to me it always reminds me of like, again, going back to that childhood emotional attachment, like I fucking hated it, but my dad would make me go out and cut the grass all the time as a kid. We had to push mow everything, you know, of course. <laughs> we didn't have a riding lawnmowers. And if we did, I definitely wouldn't have been allowed on it anyway. But we had an apple tree. My dad never, like, actually harvested any of the fruits. They would just drop and rot on the ground. And, you know, yeah, I had to get stung by all the bees as I <laughs> mowed over the apples. But, like, as you chopped up all those, like, rotting, fermenting apples on the ground, you got the aroma of, that reminds me a lot of what you smell in a, in a heavy pot still Jamaican rum. It's not quite, like funky rotting apple but it's, it's got like kind of those fruit notes and banana and just overripe is kind of the nice way to put it rotting would be the, how i associate it and mm -hmm. i don't i don't consider it necessarily that as a bad note uh, and that's something that i'm really fascinated with and there is a little bit of like a, a gasoline petrol note to this rum as well um this is bottled at 100 proof and i just i love what worthy park does there's there are a number of labels out there mostly what they sell is sold domestically in jamaica um, there are a few brands out there. Uh, they do sell bulk as well to ENA Shear in Amsterdam, um, which does a lot of rum blending for brands that kind of like the uh, MGP does in Lawrenceburg. Yeah, gotcha. Uh, so ENA Shear does the same thing in kind of in the rum world. They're based out of Amsterdam, but um, like the Hamilton Gold, Hamilton Black, um, th those those are coming out of Worthy Park uh, Rum Bar that they sell, um, and a lot of places we don't have it here in Indiana. Uh, but that's coming out of Worthy Park as well. And a lot of, like I said, majority of what they do sell is sold on the island. And the rest of it, um, you know, goes outwards. And, you know, the UK and Germany are big rum markets, much bigger than the United States. So we have to scrap for things that we want a lot more. Like I said, I had to have this bottle shipped to freaking Missouri yeah. and then drive to Missouri to pick it up because we couldn't get it here because of our liquor laws. So why? And they said they will not make this again because they had a hard time selling it. Oh, really? Wow. They only made, let's see, this particular bottle, there were 296 bottles made um, wow. and they had a really hard time selling it. So like the, um, I don't know if he's a CEO, president, buyer, whatever he is with K&L Wines came out and said, we won't do another one of these bottlings because we lose our ass on it. People just don't want to like and, move and it. And why is that here in the States? Why... Why aren't we into rum? Like we're in, you know, this whole bourbon um, boom that's going on right now. And I mean, know. that's a damn good question. You know, I think a, a large part of it, and it's a hot topic in the rum world right now, is the lack of transparency. Like when you buy a bourbon, 
um, you know what you're getting mm-hmm. in in the glass. And you know, we talked about that in one of our episodes with Bernie Lovers. You know, like I mean, you can read the label and you know exactly what's in that bottle because law dictates that. Totally. And so within the rum world, you've got you know this kind of quilt patchwork of laws dictating you know how is the rum to be made in Barbados? How is the rum to be made in Jamaica? How is the rum to be made in Martinique? And so and there's a lot of very loose, um, if not ignored regulations in some other countries and so uh, one of the big problems is uh, addition of sugar and glycerin and flavorants and all that and where, where you're and damn such. near getting into the world of liqueur instead of rum gotcha. and so that's been a hot topic um, in in the rum world today is like the added sugar I mean there's a big misconception about rum uh, we either get one of two comments when I'm talking about rum and people immediately put the wall up and like I don't like rum and it's, it's too one, sweet for me one of two reasons either A it's too sweet which means sugar was added in sugar does not make it through the distillation process nope. if water doesn't make it through sugar sure as fuck isn't going to make it through <laughs> second would be I don't like Bacardi or I don't like rum because I drank too much Bacardi in college and so or I had a bad experience in college which usually those are like handles of like Ron Rico or something yeah. you know and so um with those perceptions out there, you know, you kind of have to break that down. Um, and it takes a lot of work and you really have to do it one by one. And because there is no broad um, kind of sweeping statements that you can make about the rum world, I think it's a lot harder for people to wrap their brains around. It's like jumping into the wine world head first mm-hmm. and people get intimidated very quickly because guys like Arthur talk over their head. Man, I'm just fucking with you. But you know what I mean? Oh, like oh, when you jump in. Oh, all right. Okay. Trimethyl hydronophthalene. Yeah. I just want to see if I could see it, say it better say after it. a glass of rum. But it's that same thing, right? Like people are afraid to jump into the wine world because they don't understand. Like when you're buying a burgundy, they don't understand what grapes are in that. Like yeah. it's not burgundy grapes. Like that's a place, not a grape. So it gets really intimidating, especially when you go from there and then you move on to start talking about Italian wines or Absolutely. even more esoteric things. Yeah. And then or in California where they put Cabernet on the label, but maybe there's Merlot in there too, but they don't have to put that on the label. And so I think in the rum world, it's, it's, that it's a parallel. Like it's confusing. So rather than really diving into it, people just kind of throw their hands up. You're like, I don't really get it, but I, I understand the bourbon thing. So I'm going to do that. So if you had a recommendation, and this could be for both of you, what would be a recommendation? I'm guilty of this right now. Like, I want to get in a room, and I still have zero bottles on my shelf because I don't even know where to start. Like, do you have a recommendation maybe on something we can get locally that's okay and well-priced and not going to... I think the best thing to do would be to, like, go just out... Just go try and, it. Well, it, it, go try it. Go f- the best thing to do be, is to find somebody knowledgeable about rum. Gotcha. And every city's got at least a couple people because it... We're definitely having a rum moment now, and I, I hope it builds because as it builds, it means we have access to better things like what we have sitting in front of us. Um, ask your bartenders. Be careful you know? what you wish for, man. And if it's sweet, I mean, just understand. You know, understand what you're looking at. Learn how to read a label a little bit. If it says Solera, and they put a big giant twelve years on the label, and then underneath it it has a tiny little print Solera, that's not really twelve years old. And so you have to understand that. Versus, you know, the TTB does have regulations about how you can word, like if something's aged 12 years or if it just says 12 years, Mm -hmm. you know, those mean two totally different things. So just kind of understanding that. But a a knowledgeable bartender should be able to help you out quite a lot. And, you know, some of the things that I'm into are definitely not the ones or some of the rums that other people would like. I mean, this is pretty funky rum. Yeah. A lot of people would be turned off by this. 
I feel like a scotch drinker would be able to appreciate it. Like if you, especially if you yeah. like really peaty, funky scotches. But you know, if you were a vodka drinker, I wouldn't. I wouldn't probably give you this bottle. You know, you might be more interested in like a, a Cuban style rum, like Havana Club or Bacardi and something like that. So, it's or Don Q. What um, what did you guys taste in it? Did you like it? You know, when you said creme brulee, I kind of gave this weird look. Like, all right, wasn't getting that. And then as I continued to smell it, those words kind of just imprinted themselves into me and I'm just like dude that's totally it right there and I could go back and recall what in my mind that smells like and totally get that and um, you mentioned something like gas or something like that yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. almost that like right on you know and even at 100 proof which to me is kind of a lower proof just being used to, to I drinking barrel proof stuff I almost bring 134 proof rum today but. I, I would have <laughs> loved it but um, you know so that um, that that may have been a little bit of what I was tasting there, but th- those two things did stick out. Um, you know, go be- going back to being super basic, so some caramel no, flavors uh, learn, is though. is uh, what I was pulling. Arthur may not remember this as much because he's been doing this for so long. Now I didn't get start getting into you know spirits and wine until probably a decade after Arthur, but in the beginning, none of us start off with having all of these like these sensory memories from like what you smell or what you taste you just you sit around with guys like Arthur and you bullshit and you let them kind of dictate a little bit and you fake it and you pretend like you know what the hell he's talking about when he's like oh I'm picking up some shoe leather and you've got your nose in the glass and you're like I just smell wine (laughs) I don't smell shoe leather but then you know something does eventually there's usually like a wine for everybody's got like a wine out there that it, where it clicks and you're like holy shit that's it I totally smell that thing in there now and but you just didn't you were always smelling it you just were having a hard time kind of deducing exactly where those lines are drawn between your nose and your memory yep. and it's just like learning a language you know you know what you want to say but yep. you can't get it out because you don't understand the words and the vocabulary and once you have that you know it, it's easier but you do bullshit yourself through it in the beginning there's um there's a difference between a detection threshold that which you smell something and your recognition threshold is that oh i smell something and i know it is x yeah. y or z interesting and I mentioned in the beginning, the nose is a muscle, and it is. So best advice is just fucking smell everything, not yeah. just beverage. I mean, go to the grocery store and pick up fruit, smell it, put it back, fuck them. You know, <laughs> but that's how you're able to identify the differences yeah. between a pear and an apple, and then within a pear, an Anjou pear, a Bartlett pear, and a Bosch pear. Uh, one is greener. The Anjou pear is more green and fresh. Bartlett's are a little bit more floral and aromatic. Bosch's are more sweet and savory. The more you do that um, with random fruits uh, that you do not purchase um, or at home within a spice rack, um, those are exercises to, to build that organoleptic muscle. And then in spirits and wine, um, it's different because those aromatic compounds that actually represent a pear... They exist in wine. They exist in various spirits as well. They're, they're the same esters chemically, but they're, they're much less thresholds than an actual pear or an actual rose or an actual piece of asparagus or whatever. Um, so you have to kind of dig through and kind of go into a glass almost like a laser 
And sometimes you have to use the process of elimination. You know, you stick your nose in the glass, and you're like, do I smell fruit? Maybe. Is it red fruit? Is it dark fruit? Okay, I think it's white fruit. Is it sweet and decadent, like marmalade? Um, is it more clean and fresh, like some sort of citrus? And then within citrus, there's lemon, there's lime, there's grapefruit. And it, it's a practice, man. I mean, it. a, a lot of people are not comfortable with their, their sense of smell. You know, it's... We don't use this anymore, you know. You don't step yeah. out of your house and go, danger, downwind, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's not a survival instinct anymore. So it, it, it has to be trained. Yeah. Um, and um, I, I think this, this rum is beautiful. And I, I agree a lot of the descriptors that, that Ed threw out there. He mentioned creme brulee. He mentioned uh, banana. And to me, it's kind of like a caramelized banana. Uh, there's definitely an herbal thing he referred to the fresh cut grass there's a a vegetous kind of um quality going i'm getting like a little eucalyptus coming out now as it's sitting in the glass a little bit as well i mean it's faint but again these are like the little things that like as you just kind of keep doing it like i mean people ask all the time like oh so when you open black market did you you know plan on putting 150 rums on the shelf I would say, no, we didn't fucking know a damn thing about rum at all. And I'm not kidding at all. We didn't know shit about it. We got our liquor license unexpectedly because we opened with only beer and wine. And uh, we kind of stumbled across a liquor license for a very good price. So uh, we intentionally didn't want to do bourbon because everybody was doing bourbon. I mean, this is the height of it. This is where everybody's shitting their pants over, you know, finding a bottle of Pappy Pappy, at the store. So... We were like, well, what are people not doing? And they weren't doing rum. So we, I'm not kidding at all when I say this. Uh, Chris Coy, our business partner at the Inferno Room, uh, he's our general manager at Black Market. We Googled best rums. And we there was about 15 of them available in market. We grabbed 12 of them, put them on the shelf, and again, bullshitted our way through it. You know, We kind of read tasting notes of what somebody else said on the internet and... Most of those rums aren't there anymore uh, because, again, we were based in that off of somebody else's, mm-hmm. quote, best rum list. And most of those rums had a lot of added sugar and things like that. But, you know, there wasn't a lot of there weren't a lot of resources out there um, to find that. And there still aren't. It, it, you kind of have to scrap for yourself. But as with anything, back to my original point was like you taste and you taste just like Arthur said. You, you after a year or two, you realize, holy shit, I actually learned something, and I didn't realize it. And you know, you can put your nose in a glass, and you can pick up weird notes that you know are kind of underneath, like that little eucalyptus thing. It's it's accidental, you know. It's just like Arthur said, training, and whether you even realize you're training or not. Do you recommend sensory kits, or have you worked with that before? I, yeah, they're very expensive. They are very expensive. It's like 400 times, bucks. Yeah, the aromatics aren't entirely spot on, so I would recommend just tasting natural things, nosing natural things. You know, go to your, like I said, your spice rack and grab cinnamon versus cardamom yeah. versus um, clove and, you know, smell them by your nose. And obviously it's going to be extremely concentrated, but, you know, close your eyes and pass them around in your hands and then smell one and put them in order. Once you get that down, take them, pull them two inches away from your nose so they're not right up against your nose. So you've got to, like, reach into the glass to smell them at a distance um, as opposed to being right by your nose. And you're, you're building that muscle. But tasting with your peers... Um, tasting in an academic setting um there are a lot of brilliant test tasters out there and i've been fortunate enough to, to taste with the vast majority of them uh, in the world 
and you pick up little things here and there, and then you see what makes sense for you. You see what markers that you can lock onto with your recognition threshold. You see which ones that you need to work on. Some people have severe deficiencies with certain aromatic compounds. Um, the primary fault in wine, cork taint, uh, TCA, trichloranosol. I know very seasoned wine tasters that cannot pick it up. I'm just yeah. laughing about that because I remember, so do you remember walking through Strasbourg? Uh, and yeah. we were walking through <laughs> Strasbourg uh, when we were in France recently, and uh, Arthur said, I smell TCA. Somebody's got some corked wine sitting on a table, and we just kind of kept walking. He goes, either that or somebody's selling some shoes around here. Oh, we got, what, about 50 more yards up, and there was a guy selling sandals. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so that, that particular, you know, I was obviously downwind. Um, <laughs> right. Danger, danger, TCA. <laughs> I, I myself have a pair of cork shoes. It's one of my favorite pair of shoes that I got in um, uh, Madrid, and they're infected with cork taint. We have some furniture, some bamboo furniture, furniture yeah, that's yeah, tainted. Yeah, wow. Anything with phenolic compounds can be infected with, with TCA or cork taint or at least a variant of uh, cork taint because there are a few that are detectable at different thresholds. But um, it's that say, a moldy basement, wet cardboard kind of thing, uh, which is a contaminant in wines. And um, I actually, I know a master of wine. Can't smell cork taint, save his fucking life. Really? Yeah. I'm not going to say who that is. No, we're not, no, 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 no. But um, we're going to start setting a new precedent. Arthur's not going to call anybody out. I don't want to be that so, douche to this guy. He's a good guy. You said something earlier, Arthur, and it's I haven't been able to move past it. So you called it like ripe banana, right? Overripe banana. And then you said caramelized banana. And like, so is there something in the scent of, of something being caramelized, like that burnt flavor that would be on creme brulee or banana yes. that you're, you're picking up that would make you yes. go towards so it? And, and what is that? bruised uh, banana you're talking about uh, the development of aldehyde it's a bruised fruit kind of thing so um, essentially oxidizing um, uh, acids and alcohols um, yeah butyric acid actually um, when it on its own smells I, I am I saying that right butyric yeah. acid yep um, on its own smells like vomit but when combined with the alcohols, as ethyl butyrate, right? I believe I, I, I'm not as good with my chemical names as he is, but I think it's ethyl butyrate. That gives you that banana smell, but like, like I said, butyric acid on its own is not, you know, it's it's chemistry. So on its own, it smells disgusting. Yeah. Caramelized would be the more burnt, so not an oxidized fruit or a bruising fruit, but it would be an actual caramelization of sugars or sugars that have gone through the Maillard effect and have browned. Yeah. Um, and the easiest thing to do would just buy your ass a banana, Burn leave it, it out, <laughs> smell it. Oh. Yeah, no, that's what I was <laughs> going to say when you mentioned the, mm. the, the um, sensory kits. Yeah, because I mean, I've seen those out and about, but like what Arthur said, like go you can go to the store, grocery store and they, they charge a fortune for those They're like 450 bucks and up. Yeah. And they're not, and not only that, but those, you know, kind of concentrated essences, they blow off, the aromas blow off and then you're left with $400 worth of nothing versus going to the grocery store and smelling a banana that is like on the sale for today only <laughs> rack, you know, like this is on its last legs. Yep. Um, or, you know, like I said, when I cut my dad's grass, you know, it's just rotting fruit on the bottom. Like, the the, the world has got smells out there. Yep. You know, you don't have to have a fancy kit to, to go and experience the, the smells of the world. 
Um, hey, tell us a little bit about this uh, this wine that we're drinking here. Yeah, I think it's awesome that we followed the rum with wine as opposed to the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> Screw it. I should have known in this company that probably would have taken priority. I mean, um, I poured myself a glass. I didn't know everybody was going to follow suit. Right, right. <laughs> um, so this is um, uh, Domaine de Boisson uh, as the producer. Uh, B-O-U-R-S-A-N and it is a producer he is a producer they are a producer of Chateauneuf de Pop Chateauneuf de Pop is from the Rhone in France the Rhone is uh, broken down into two sections Northern Rhone and Southern Rhone combined although 90 plus percent of production comes from the Southern Rhone they represent the second largest producer of, of Appalachian wine coming from France, so it's it's a pretty big region. Um, this area is probably about 7,000 acres, but that's coming from memory, so not viciously huge. Um, you know, Napa Valley, for perspective, is about 45,000 acres. Wow. Um, traditionally, it is a blend um, of approximately 13 grapes. Everyone says uh, 13 by law, but there are clonal variations of grapes that can sneak their way in, so... If you know your geeky grape variety specifics, you can count your way up to 16 or 18 or so. Um, primarily, you're talking about Grenache, or a.k.a. Garnacha, uh, if it were coming from Spain. And um, it's supplemented oftentimes with Syrah, Morvedra, other grapes that are suited to warmer climates. We are moving south towards the uh, Mediterranean. This is centered around Avignon which is actually where the um, Popplecy relocated, and I believe it's 1307, but that's from memory as well. Um, it was definitely early 14th century, and it only stayed there a little while. Uh, turns out that in Avignon, they didn't like pedophiles. So <laughs> uh, the Popplecy returned. I just saw he had a big eek on his face, like, there goes our Catholic demographic. Um, I just want to see this printed on the label. <laughs> like, they're going to be using it as marketing materials now. Um, actually, an old friend of mine would say that during seminar. He'd say, shutting up to Pop, or as you may know it, new home of the pedophile. Because it does translate to you know the new estate or new home of the Pope, but they went back to Rome in the 14th century. Um, you can see it's listed at 14% alcohol, and a lot of European wines, uh, a lot of French wines, oftentimes come off a little bit lower in alcohol. Um, but like I said, we're getting close to the Mediterranean. If you're in the northern hemisphere and you're moving south in Medi Mediterranean, uh, you're getting closer to the equator. It's warmer, heat. Sunshine equals sugar development. Sugar equals alcohol production. So typically more full-bodied, higher alcohol wines are further south in the northern eastern here and then uh, further north in the southern hemisphere. Um, spicy. Um, CDP is definitely the, uh, of course, that's Chateauneuf de Pop uh, for short. Um, this is 95% red wine country. There's a little bit of white wine, which is, can be absolutely beautiful and decadent. But this is what they're known for. It's spicy, it's peppery, it's oftentimes gamey. Uh, Chateauneuf de Pop has what the people in the wine industry refer to garrigue. Um, it's just kind of animal, musky, um, you know, moving through southern France and smelling everything from drying flowers to decomposing vegetous matter and pulled back bark. Um, it kind of sounds funny, but actually a marker for mine, a blind-tasting marker for me in, in Rhone. Um, I'm not really getting getting a little bit of it out of, of this. Um, it's 
sometimes Roan smells like a urinal cake. <laughs> it smells like a porta potty, man. <laughs> and um, there is a, a student of mine who was in class, and we were going through and tasting, and she was like, it "Smells like a porta potty." And I stuck my nose in there, and I was like, "That's awesome!" <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like it's an animal hamster cage with game and cured meat inside of a urinal cake with plummy red fruits. Notice the the fruits are. Um, Almost stewy. I can see that. This is <laughs> awesome. So I mean, those tasting notes are valuable because no, right? it's something that almost everybody can relate to. Well, you're putting to words like what what I'm tasting through, and I'm almost kind of timid, um, just because of how knowledgeable you are. And to, to kind oh, of, I haven't and, said and, shit. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's a know, little bit of shit in there. I just got a little bit of shit in there. You know, That's South African pinotage. <laughs> yes, it is. As I'm tasting, I'm what, what's coming to mind is like a jelly or a jam, you know, and, and then yeah, I wanted good. to say meat. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so you're saying, okay, like this gamey, um, and then the spice, I couldn't put my, my nose on what that was, but when you say spice, okay, I get not necessarily black pepper, but, you know, I get some sort of a spiciness there, so... This is a very expressive wine. This, is, this isn't a bad wine at all. It's done well. They're a classic producer. There are mulling spices in there, so like cardamom, clove, things we tend to associate with French oak. There is a dried floral bouquet kind of thing going on in this. The fruits, you're right, they are more ripe and jammy as opposed to being tart um, or, or more acidic. Um, and that's a reflection of the great variety, but also of the climatic conditions. Warmer climatic conditions, again, you're gonna get riper fruit. Riper fruit on the vine oftentimes translates into riper flavored fruit within a, a wine's nose or, or um, its aromatics. So yeah, there's and uh, all the stuff I mentioned as far as like the organic minerality, like you know the compost and the animal and the forest floor and pulled back bark. You just need to go walk through a forest to you know get a sense of it. I'm looking um, forward to this. This is gonna be an awesome walk. But, Grocery store, forest. Uh, but I mean, that's really is it is fun. I mean, it's yeah. just it's like goes back to what you were asking about the mindfulness of Arthur's yoga. But I mean, like or any sort of precept like that in Buddhism or uh, the yogis but you know just being present when you are smelling things like really thinking about it because most people don't totally you know when you when you get a plate of food at a restaurant you know most people don't put it right up to their nose to kind of get the aromatics of it Um, now chefs are always kind of trying to put those aromatics on top so you do smell it but I mean I always regardless of how ridiculous it may look and how what kind of restaurant I'm in, I always, you know, make sure I get a good smell of that food right oh, up front. Oh, I smell all my food. Yeah, yeah you've got to, like, well, I, I know, I know, I've seen you, man. <laughs> you literally, he'll put it, he'll lift the plate up and shove it right into his nose before he ever even touches Absolutely. A, a piece of silverware. Um, but, I mean, it's being mindful of what you're smelling because, I mean, just being in here right now, we've got an open kitchen. You know, there's... Uh, you know aromas of whatever they're preparing back there right now mm-hmm. plus you know the bartenders over there shaking up different cocktails versus what we're drinking here at the table so i see some bananas you see some, oh yeah we do those are those are green ones though it didn't smell any green banana off that rum so i want a question i have because you, you know ed earlier talked about intimidation factor when it comes to you know drinking and so forth and in, in, in the rum world <laughs> well we've uh, sucked all the fun out of alcohol it's like drinking is intimidating now no, but in all honesty, like, Bush Light. I, I have never even remotely dabbled into wine so arthur for you if you like 
in 60 seconds or so. Like, what is... <laughs> no, I like that. I, oh, that's man. a very good qualification for Arthur. <laughs> I don't mean it that way. I just like, what are like two points, three points that you can give someone? Because I'm embarrassed to sit at a table and then like they bring out the wine and then you have to like The smell. second cheapest bottle. Well, and then what, Sherry Marano yeah, like, taught where us? Where can like a beginner such as myself or someone else like build a little confidence or are there a couple of like rules not regulations but like what am i what am, what's what i'm looking for polite ways of drinking wine or to, to look like i belong i guess um well i i, I would say first and you off, can take longer than 60 seconds <laughs> i think you start with a jacket no you don't <laughs> i for someone who's obsessed with clothes i was a while back i'd, I'd prefer to wear yoga pants now i'd Hung up I, yoga pants and uh, tank tops. So that's, a life, that's a life I live in. So yeah, no, it's a comfortable, comfortable life. Um, I would, I would say first and foremost, you should never feel embarrassed. You should never feel intimidated. And if someone is acting that way or being that person, then they're just simply a douche. Um, and I actually, I, I love being at tastings, at residential tastings or at trade shows. And there's some guy there who's just just being rude and just stepping up and just kind of smacking them down and being like, look, man, that's just not necessary. Um, so to, to interrupt Arthur for one second and, and echo that, like on the service end of it, and Arthur's obviously been on that end in the beginning of his career, but, you know, as a restaurateur, like we employ people that know what we've got, like not only should you not be afraid, we encourage you to ask questions. Mm -hmm. We encourage you to say, hey, listen, I don't want to drop more than 60 bucks on this bottle. Um, and, you know, what do you think? And we'll, we'll ask you a few questions, but don't be embarrassed about that. Like, I, I'm not. I, when I go to a restaurant, when they drop a freaking thousand bottle wine list in front of me, the last thing I'm going to do is comb through every page of the list. I'm going to ask for the sommelier because they know their list a hell of a lot better than I do. And again, even in that kind of a setting, I don't care what restaurant, uh, what restaurant you're at, if a sommelier comes off as snobby or um, kind of tries to put you in, in place because you say, hey, you know, I was I want something not too complicated, but something that will go with dinner, you know, maybe something like, you know, 30 to 50 or whatever. Mm -hmm. That's a fair response, man. And if they don't have anything 30 to 50 on their list, they could say, well, yeah, a lot of our stuff is, is over 50, but we do have some great half bottles for you. We've got a wonderful wine by the glass program. And th there are different ways of not correcting a guest, but putting the guest on the right path. Gotcha. It's not your job to correct the guest or to flaunt your knowledge. And the sommelier community is riddled uh, with that shit and I, that's where I love to shine at a dinner table if I'm ordering <laughs> wine and someone doesn't know who I am whatever I'm not walking in there with a big you know super psalm shirt or something. don't have your super psalm <laughs> shirt yeah, you know. do you put your lapel pin on your super psalm shirt I fucking threw that lapel pin out I don't wear lapel pins um, well damn it there goes your master psalm title guess you'll never get it now oh no, yeah whatever <laughs> I'm dying to hear that story by no, the way no. <laughs> I, I honestly thought it was going to come out on the Chris Benedict episode. It came close. <laughs> it's, it's a long story. Um, but when those professionals, quote professionals, come up to a table and they try and correct me because I feel like I, you know, I want this kind of wine, they're like, oh, well, no, sir, I don't think that's going to go with your food at all. And it's like, I'm sorry, I didn't ask you for a pairing suggestion. I asked you for the wine. <laughs> or, sir, is this the appropriate temperature? And I go, actually, I like that temperature. Please put it on the table. And they stop and go, well, I think it needs to be a little bit colder. And they put it in a chilling bucket. And that shit's happened to me. Um, and... 
Sometimes I bite my tongue. Other times, if I'm a little bit irritated. <laughs> um, well, it's just fuck you. You just asked me, you just asked me if, if I like the temperature, and damn it, I said yes, and I think it's a fine temperature for this fucking wine. So don't correct me. Yoga is really paying off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're taking notes over there. They know. They remember why you're going to yoga. You know, and, and I used to actually get angry. I don't really get angry now. I, I feel like I, there's a part of me that needs to stand up for other people that aren't. I, and I appreciate it. Like hearing you say that makes me feel better. Yeah. Now yeah. I, I feel more confident. A lot of people just kind of sit there and be like, "Oh fuck, man, that's the last time I'm going to ask a wine steward a question." And that shouldn't yeah. be it, man. It's the customer's world. We're here to facilitate the experience we're not here to impress ourselves one of my um, pet peeves man is i had a um sommelier at a um a very well-known michelin three-star restaurant that had that insisted on pronouncing every wine we yeah, did the pairing so I, I had what probably eight wines over the course of dinner um every wine was pronounced in the appropriate accent regardless of what part of the world they were from and i was like so he comes over with a spanish accent on one a french <laughs> accent on another i'm like dude i know you're from the midwest <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't want to name the city because we might be able to figure it out but are uh, you schizophrenic are you, you okay <laughs> and the over pronunciation thing is an issue with with me um when i talked about this wine, i said chateau nif de pop that's it's cool. Funny. I like it. It's that. English. That's kind of well, cool. I mean, well, there's certain words you really have no. There's no like parallel. I'm, you not, know? I'm not going Chateau Neuf du Pas. Right. You know. I mean, I'm not That's trying what to, I was to be at. French when I'm not French. You know, you can say Chateau Margaux versus Chateau Margaux. Um, I have a hard time even doing that. I was going to say, I don't think I can do that. What are you doing so, rum like the La Romerie? It's, it's, it's not just English. Just be cool, do man. Don't you don't have to be a dick. Um, so anyway, th- that was my soapbox on don't be afraid to ask, don't yeah. um, be afraid to ask questions. And you are fully entitled if someone does make you feel that way on your way out, you know, say, hey, you know, I'm sorry, but that, you know, we came in for a nice dinner. Um, and that, that sommelier just really kind of made me feel dumb for asking questions and doesn't really want me to ask him to take care of us again. Mm-hmm. You know, just so you know. And again, you don't have to be like this raging yeah. Oh, yeah. customer. <laughs> feedback's but just, feedback, right? Yeah, but ju- just say, hey, that's, you know, I'm sorry. That's not the kind of wine. I'm just getting anything wine. I want to learn wine. I don't want to be intimidated by it. Just, you know, I, I want him to share his knowledge with me and, and not make me feel like a, you know, a fucking hillbilly or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, Which we are, because we're from, you know, out of the middle of nowhere. There's white trash all over the world. <laughs> that whole Midwestern thing's horseshit. So, um, there's way more white trash in California. <laughs> Pop into some some rapid fire here. Yeah, we're, uh, uh, so obviously be respectful. I, I switched over into recording into Wave instead of MP3, and it's got a countdown, and we're at less than five minutes. So oh, all right, there we are. So here we go. Uh, favorite restaurant in town can't not be your own. Man, I actually wrote some stuff down because I was like, I didn't know. I don't know. I guess I probably eat more often. I don't really get out all that often because I'm at work all the time. So when I'm off, I want to be at home. But I do eat at Northern Barbecue yeah. Um, yeah. quite a bit. I love what Ryan Nelson's doing up there, and I love barbecue. Uh, also eat at this great Indian joint by my place. Um Called a clay oven down the south side. It's um, kind of hidden in a strip mall. It's great. Nice. Uh, on the higher side would probably be Vita for me. And in light of time, I won't go by genre, but you know, pretty solid execution and a great beverage program. 
It's the first for, for Vita, yeah. Favorite favorite spot to grab coffee? Quills. I go to Quills over by the university. Yep. That's because of Chef Mike at Black Market. He's That's where he goes, so I'll, I'll meet him up for coffee every now and again. Uh, I don't drink as much coffee as I used to. Insomnia, but um, open society. <laughs> yep. Brews a pretty badass cup. Go for it. What are you currently obsessed with? Man, that's a long list of stuff. Um, Sanity. <laughs> uh, I've been really into like uh, Papua New Guinea tribal art lately because we're in the midst of building a tiki bar. So mm. I've been doing a lot of research on like uh, the native artwork and traditions of uh, Papua New Guinea, especially the uh, Sepik River region. I'm going to have to look that up. Is that a first? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> What? That's not a common answer? <laughs> Are there, aside from sanity? <laughs> no, that's pretty much it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a big one for him, though. <laughs> best, best brunch in town. Oh, that's easy. Well, it's easy. I can give you two answers. I mean, love handle and milk tooth. I mean, nobody's touching those guys. I mean, between Chris Benedict and John Brooks, these yeah. guys are killing it. I saw them in a love handle. Yeah, I need to get over They're there. They're killing it. Yeah. I mean, I've heard, like I said, I've heard. Anybody so jumping into the breakfast brunch game against those two, I, I, that's that's an uphill battle. When are they going to be open at Mass Ave? Uh, I think he said before the end of the year, Is right? It? November. Like December or something. Yeah, November, December. Arthur, you got a favorite brunch? Uh, I concur. <laughs> I love it. And uh, we'll, we'll close it out with this question. Future guest for the show. Who would you recommend? For your show? Yeah. Or your show. <laughs> no, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's give them all our secrets. Come on, man. You guys are on our coattails anyway. Let's see if you're the really, same guest that we got. For the official show? <laughs> that is true. <laughs> I look back and say, wait a minute. Hold on. We've talked to Koto. Uh, we've talked to the You know what I, what I would like to hear? Uh, we've been so centric on, on beer and cocktails and distillates. I'd like for you to find a, a young wine-oriented wine steward or sommelier and, and get their take on it versus my cynical, angry old ass. <laughs> yeah, that would be cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what I'm thinking. Um, man, I don't know. There's so many interesting people in town. Um, one of the people that I find most interesting, although I don't get to see her as much as I'd like, um, Polina Asheroff, that um, is the founder of Pattern Magazine. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know. So, yep. like, she's just kind of a... Oh, that, I've been a model traits. in two different episodes, or two different magazines. Yeah, so. she's, I mean, she's an amazing photographer. She's, you know, trying to... The same thing that we're all doing in the food and beverage community, she's doing in the fashion community and really trying to, like, showcase that, that they're, again, we're not just a city to be ignored. And um, she's a fascinating person. And yeah, I mean, I, I think you should totally talk to her. I mean, it's, it gets a little bit outside of drink culture, but no, it's, um, yeah, she's a really interesting person. Awesome. And where, where can people follow you guys for, for the podcast? Uh, you can find our podcast at shiftdrinkpodcast.com. You can stream it straight off our website. We're on iTunes, Google, all that stuff as well. Um, on Instagram, we're Shift Drink Podcast. Actually, we're Shift Drink Podcast everywhere, but Twitter, where we're Shift underscore Drink. But we don't uh, we don't use Twitter nearly as much as the President of the United States. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't even think we have a Twitter account. Yeah, so. I mean, we have a lot more to say than 140 characters. <laughs> well, we'd like to say thank you guys for for being a part of the show. Uh, we truly appreciate your time. Uh, as always, drink culture, stay woke. Everybody, uh, follow us at Drink Culture, DRNK, CLTR on Instagram, Facebook, and DRNKCLTR.com. Thank you guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you very much, it. guys. Absolutely.